0: Drop case or else danger for you and your family. This warning addressed to Fenton Hardy not only alarms the famous investigator and his detective sons, but also puzzles them. Because Mr. Hardy is working on more than one case, which one prompted the threat? When more ominous warnings follow, Frank and Joe suspect there is a link between the counterfeiting case they are investigating and a secret case their father cannot discuss, since it involves national security. The key to the solution of both cases appear to be hidden in the old Turner Mill constructed in frontier days, but now a gatehouse for Electron Controls Limited, engaged in manufacturing top-secret electric parts for space missiles. But the millhouse is occupied by two Electron employees who are hostile to Frank and Joe, and refuse to allow the young detectives to question the company's 14-year-old messenger boy, who unknowingly may be in possession of some vital clues. Determined to learn the secret of the old mill, Frank and Joe employ a clever ruse to gain entrance, only to find themselves trapped in the subterranean passageway. How the young detectives extricate themselves from this dangerous situation and unravel both mysteries will keep the reader tense
1: with suspense. So it happens when I do girl voices? They're all.
0: All, all of your girl voices are. Also, when bells.
1: I try to draw females, it you they draw them in southern. Huge bell. eyelashes. Oh okay. I'm just saying, there's like a a lazy way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Lazy and not effective. <laughs> lazy and ineffective, like Chet Morton. <laughs>
0: Welcome to the Hardy Boys Drink Book. I'm Charles Wefso. Each episode, I'm going to sit down with writers, actors, and comedians to talk about a book in the Hardy Boys Mystery Series. We'll kick back with a signature cocktail, solve a few mysteries, and try to get a summer job at a government research facility. This episode's drink was created by Mead Conroy at Pearl's, a neighborhood favorite in Denver's Capitol Hill neighborhood. This is the Hardy Boys Drink Book number three, The Mystery of the Old Mill. Hey everyone, welcome to the Hardy Boys Drink Book Podcast. With me today is professional, pretend astronaut, Mitch Slevick. Thank you for having me. Mitch, thank you for joining me today. I have heard that you recently won an award. I think you should tell, start us off by telling us a little bit about it. Oh, the that's award. right.
1: I uh, won the Lipsky Award, which okay. I'm sure you've heard of. Um, it's for excellence in museum theater script writing.
0: For today's episode, we have a new, uh, a new treat. I have given Mitch a custom bingo card. And as we read through the story, we'll just check off the boxes. they are things like... You know, The Boys Leave Bayport, Attempted Murder, Secret Passageways, things like that. So if you've got them on your bingo card, check them off. I'll put the bingo card up online, up on the website.
1: How did how'd you enjoy the book, Mitch? Uh, you know, I, I actually did enjoy it. Really? Uh, yeah. That's great. It's, That's great it's very fast-moving. First of all, I took this book around. It's called The Secret of the Old Mill, and yes. I showed it to a bunch of people and asked them what they thought The Secret of the Old Mill was going to be. A lot of votes for gold, a lot of votes for treasure. Some people thought lava. Um, sex club. Someone thought they were growing pot. Somebody thought that maybe it's not a mill at all. It's actually a Ferris wheel. Oh, a lot of potential secrets. Some of them are remarkably close. Yes. And I Uh, left out a few people had the right answer, but I won't say that one.
0: Judge a book by its cover. You might, you might solve the mystery. Right. (laughs) It would be like if when you read the Orient Express, the Orient Express did it. You know what I mean? And you're like, (laughs) you're like, Oh, we should have known it was the title of the book. Well, let's just jump right into the mystery here. The book starts, the boys go with Chet, good old chubby Chet Morton, and Chet saves up a bunch of money, he's going to go into town and buy a microscope, and the boys are going to go pick up their dad for the train station, so they go with him.
1: Chet cannot resist the urge to go buy a candy bar.
0: No, he has to go buy a candy bar because he's stress eating. As he's in the train station to buy a candy bar, somebody hands him a 20 and is like, can I get change? And Chet's just like, Sure. So what happens next? Is this when they go to buy the microscope? I remember there's a Several point Several other things happen. The real... Because Chet, Chet makes a point where, he's, yeah. where he says, can we please go buy my microscope before more things happen? So yeah. I assume that there's more. I felt
1: like that was a self-aware moment where he realizes he's in a Hardy Boys novel. He's like, oh
0: God, this am like, never... like, we stand around,
1: we're going to get hit by a car, or like... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> then, then a kid almost gets hit
2: by a car.
0: Then the kid almost gets hit by the car. And then they see Oscar Smuff. I forgot about it. It's, it's, I think it's his only appearance in the whole book. It is. And it's just him being a crappy detective, trying to tail somebody he accuses somebody of having counterfeit money, and they don't.
1: We forgot to mention, though, the kid they saved from being hit by a car, had, they were like, whoa, that's a weird-looking bike. And he was like, it's a special bike. It's made in Belgium. Belgium.
0: The only one in the tri-state <laughs> area. Yeah, but then Chet tries to buy his microscope. Turns out,
1: counterfeit money.
0: Yeah. Oscar Smuff was right. There's a counterfeiting ring going on.
1: And boy, does it take the characters a lot longer than it took us, the reader, to figure out what had happened.
0: Right. I don't remember exactly when they go and talk to the cops. I think it might be right afterwards, and they're like, we got robbed! And the cop's like, yeah, well, you can tell. And he teaches us a ton of dumb stuff I didn't need to know
1: about money. Charles is referring to how you can figure out if a serial number has the right check number at the end of it.
0: Do we want to Do we want to read this to the... No. Great. Neither did I. So, and then he says, you can also tell because it feels different in your hand. And he yeah. hands it to Joe, and Joe's like, yes, it does feel much yeah. different. it's like way too
1: heavy. Feels like a completely different material.
0: And Chess just bashfully like I don't, I don't know they find Chet's dad out fishing right mm-hmm. and he's like hey dad this is what happened and he gives them he gives Chet the money and he
1: pays the Hardy Boys back that's also where they meet uh they run into Iola
0: Iola Morton Chet's little sister and Joe's favorite date
1: yes uh who is described as dark-haired Iola slim and vivacious vivacious which is when I started looking every female character in the book is described in this order slim and vivacious attractive very attractive, pretty. Even Aunt Gertrude? Aunt Gertrude, I left off the list. I Uh, thought no one would notice. I think
0: she is described as Fenton's unmarried sister. Uh, Yes. And Chet's dad gives a lot of exposition. He really sets up the story. He just made a huge land deal. I thought Chet's dad was a farmer. Maybe he just owns farmland. He explains that he sold the old mill. He sold it to this big lab that's like a, a military industrial lab called the Electon Corporation, where it's very clear that they make space missiles. Yeah, it's and I was waiting the
1: whole book to hear more about those space missiles. Never go into detail about those. <laughs> no it's to- detail. It's top secret, Mitch. Uh, yeah, but come yeah, on. Yeah, no. We- are, we- are they <laughs> shooting the missiles at things in space? Are they firing are they get- them into space? Are they trying to get missiles up into
0: space to fire back down at Earth? That sounds the coolest. And then they go home and they talk to, oh, this is when we meet. It's her first introduction to Aunt Gertrude, who is added in this book. She's an unnecessary addition to the hardy household laura hardy so he's being married to fenton she's just proud of her boys so they introduced a character to basically just stand around and like harp at the boys and nag at them and uh, yeah you know mind your own business gurry oh i love this so after chet decides he's gonna get a summer job at a secret scientific scientific research facility because he's
1: excited about microscopes
0: he's excited about microscopes this summer it's summer right summer vacation it must be they never mention the school in this one. He decides he's going to get a summer job, and the boys immediately say what I say, where they're like, Chet, no, that's not going to happen. Well, first they make fun of him for, at the idea that he could get a job. Everyone does. Even, like, Aunt Gertrude makes a crack, I think, about, like, the day Chet Morton holds down a job. <laughs> in the middle of the night, someone comes to the house, bang, and wakes them up in the middle of the night. They, they run outside. They see somebody's left a warning. They chase after the person who's on a bicycle. And they find a bike pedal that the person has left behind. It's fallen off the bike. I have never had a pedal fall off my bike while I'm riding it. I've had bikes come apart in different ways, but that's never happened. That's incredibly unfortunate. <laughs> that is a sweet clue because it turns out that it is an incredibly unique bicycle pedal.
1: Yeah, from, uh, where was it? I think it was from Belgium. Belgium.
0: <laughs> All right, well, let's check in with our bingo sheets here. Do you see anything that's happened so far? The Queen. Chet took them in The Queen. Right.
1: That's a yellow car for first-time listeners.
0: No actual injuries, no picnics yet. All right, that's all we have. Well, Fenton Hardy came home. Got to get your yeah, free totally. square.
1: Fenton Hardy came home. They look at the note. It says... Do you, do you remember? On, I think it's on the front first page of the book. Awesome. This the note. Yeah. Drop case or else danger for you and your family.
0: Okay, that's straightforward. Oh, No. It's not, because Fenton Hardy is an internationally famous detective who is constantly working on lots of cases. So the immediate question that everyone has is, what the hell is this a reference to?
1: Yeah, and the Hardy Boys have sort of chosen a case, but only kind of.
0: Yeah, and then they all have cookies and lemonade. Oh, I I forgot to say, they investigate the note. No watermark. I don't know if you've ever investigated a note. They don't have watermarks on them, so we think.
1: Did they look at... It through the microscope? Yes. yes. They have a fully equipped lab above the garage. It's the first time it's ever been mentioned. I love... Seems like a big deal. That it's a big deal that Chet gets a microscope and he's like, let's use my microscope. And the and really boys sh- are like, okay, even though they had an up-to-date model of their own. Yeah.
0: Poor fifth wheel Chet. The next day, Chet, Iola Morton, his little sister, Callie Shaw, Iola's uh, best friend, go out with Frank and Joe for a big picnic. They're going to go up to the old mill and Chet's going to try to get a job. Basically, Electon bought the mill, and they've turned it into the entryway to the...
1: My understanding was they lab. built a factory behind it. Behind it, yeah. And then they've got some caretakers who are living in the mill. While and they... watching it and being guards at the
0: gate. Yeah. Um, so they go out there to check it out, and Chet wants to ask about a job. And that's really kind of a very obvious scene that's about to happen, but a really humiliating scene when Chet like, walks up to the guard at the gate, and says, Hey, can I talk to somebody about a job? And he basically says, This is private
1: property and a government research facility. No. Well then he actually goes inside. He's like, I'll tell them you stop by. He goes inside, comes back out, and he's like, They said no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they start looking around and they like see
0: they see a green truck. That's, that becomes a big thing later. They see Ken's bike. Yeah. And when they when they find Ken's bike, one of the pedals has been replaced. So they know that Ken's bike was used to deliver the warning.
1: This is what I love, is they met their friend Ken with his Belgian bike. Yes. Somebody leaves a note on a Belgian bike, loses a bike pedal. They're like, that's Ken's bike with a replaced pedal. (gasps) Somebody must have stolen his bike. Somebody must have stolen
0: (laughs) Ken's bike. Couldn't be Ken. I really liked when they saw Ken in the window of the mill. And then Callie is like, I don't know, guys. Let's go down to the beach and eat. Maybe it was an illusion. And they're like, maybe like <laughs> it was an illusion specifically of Ken.
1: Yeah. That's another moment where they're like, they're like, oh, that's Ken's bike. Someone must have stolen it and committed the crime. And they asked the guy, they're like, is Ken here? And they're like, no, no, he left. They're like, that's him in the window. And they're like, no, it's not him. <laughs> must be an <laughs> illusion. I'm just saying there's a bias in this book where whenever kids look super guilty, yeah. nobody thinks they're guilty. Nobody
0: thinks they're guilty. Kids can be guilty. Kids are usually guilty.
1: Did a picnic happen yet?
0: Oh, they have a picnic. Soon, everyone was enjoying the delicious lunch the girls had prepared. Chicken sandwiches, potato salad, chocolate cake, and lemonade. While they were eating, the girls were the targets of good-natured kidding. Boy! Joe exclaimed as he finished his piece of cake.
1: This is almost as good as my mother and Aunt Gertrude make. That's a compliment, Chet said emphatically.
0: Callie's eyes twinkled.
1: I know it is, Joe. Joe's mother and aunt are the best cooks ever.
0: Iola sniffed.
1: I don't know about this compliment stuff. There's something on your mind, Joe Hardy. That's what happens when I do girl voices? They're all southern. All
0: all of your girl voices are Also southern when belts. I try
1: to draw females it make huge belt. eyelashes. Oh okay. I'm just saying there's like a a lazy way. <laughs> mhm. Lazy and not effective. <clears throat> lazy and ineffective like Chet Morton. <laughs> So while they're picnicking, yeah, Chet
0: goes and looks for samples, and they go into a cave, which is always cool. When the Hardy Boys are like, we found a
1: cave! And then in the cave, they find a tunnel. Tunnels are cool. Okay, so this is what happens. They find the tunnel. It's covered by rocks. They move the rocks out of the way, and they start to climb in. Rapidly, they push the rocks aside. Joe crawled in first, then Frank. Chet tried to squeeze his bulky form through the space, but quickly backed out. It's too tight for me, he groaned. I'll stay here and collect more specimens. And then, a little while later, the narrator says, the Hardys crawled ahead carefully. There was just enough room in the passageway for a normal sized person to get through. Throwing some shade at old Chet.
0: If you see the illustrations of Chet Morton, he is probably he's probably got twenty pounds on the other boys. Oh, so yeah, all this happens, and they're in this cave screaming. The girls just start screaming outside the beach, which it totally makes sense why, because they run out on the beach and someone has fired a freaking arrow at them like a hunting arrow the person i hope had really good aim and got in between them because if the rest of if like at that point in the story Callie shaw got an arrow through the thigh or something
1: yeah or if the arrow had been like really far probably there's like a bunch of arrows and he finally got one close to them yeah they didn't notice the first like six arrows i think you're probably right like what was it's that them squirrel she's
0: like when do you think frank and joe are gonna come back
1: yeah because that's not something you think is happening. No. When you're like,
0: a thunk, it, you're like, was that an arrow? Did he write? He must have tied notes to all of them, I <laughs> Right, totally. Because there's a note attached to the arrow that's fired at them. I don't remember what this one says.
1: This one says, danger, hardies beware.
0: Of what? That's not... <laughs> And the biggest mistake the person made. I can't think of another situation where someone has looked at a piece of paper, but these boys look at the note and they find a watermark. I think after this, after this whole experience, they go home because there's a surprise waiting for them at home. And it was a surprise.
1: It's just like every time they mention the surprise, they're both like, I hope it's the first surprise we hope it is. And the first thing they say when they see it is like, this is exactly what we hoped it was. Yeah, which is good. And it's a freaking
0: speedboat. They don't even seem as grateful as they should be. I mean, obviously, they they knew it was coming. Their dad took them to a boat show and let them look at boats.
1: Also, not to foreshadow anything, but I don't think they're responsible enough to own a speedboat. But obviously,
0: they immediately take the boat out on the ocean. So they see Tony, and Tony flags them down. So Tony's dad runs a lumberyard or like a hardware store or something and sold a bunch of bricks and lumber to a guy in a big green truck. Mm -hmm. with a like a kid with him who had a bicycle even at this point when they realize that ken was like in the car with the guy
1: that pushed the counterfeit money they don't seem to suspect that ken not at all no they're like they're like wow he was hanging out with the criminal probably all day maybe he found a clue
0: so they go back to the the area where the arrow was shot at cali and iola and they look for they're looking for clues to the bowman Shielding the lenses of their flashlights so that the light beams would not be easily detected by anyone lurking in the vicinity, the boys began a thorough search of the wooded section. As they worked their way noiselessly uphill among the trees, the only sound was the eerie rattling of the wind in the leaves and branches. Frank whispered hoarsely.
1: Look! There's something!
0: Joe joined his brother, and together they examined the leather object. An archer's finger guard! It may be a valuable clue to
1: the arrow warning. Here's what I really love about that passage is, uh, I don't know, a lot of times I go into the supermarket or whatever... And usually I'm like, look at all these people standing around. But from now on, in my internal monologue, I'm like, look at all these people lurking in the vicinity. Lurking in
0: the vicinity. Lurking around those cantaloupes. I do want to say, though, an archer's finger guard? I can't think of a better clue to possibly get.
1: God, and if this is the same guy, pedals falling off his bike, dropping He's his dropping finger guard. Dropping his
0: finger guard? Guy deserves to get Those are things you notice. So, yeah, so they find this, and then they, they go up to the mill, and then they decide to just trespass.
1: It's worth pointing out that they've been told not to hang around the mill already.
0: Not to hang around Neither the guys. mill. And they've been told
1: by their dad
0: that it's a gover- now it's a government secret missile laboratory. Why would you... Oh, that's right, because the mill has stopped turning. And they're like, well, we better tell somebody. They're going to want to know, which is total BS. That's not why they want to break in there. They just want to break in there. As they were investigating the mill, as they're about to go talk to somebody and say that, oh, the mill has stopped turning, someone hits them on the back of the head and they get knocked out.
1: I just want to point out, as a pretend astronaut, that uh, if you were actually knocked unconscious by a blow to the head and you're unconscious for more than 15 seconds, there's a very high chance you're going to have serious brain damage.
0: That would make the rest of the series make a lot of sense. I think it's time to check back in with our bingo scorecard. I think
1: so. So let's see what we've got so far. We met the sleuth. The sleuth. We I- did have a picnic there was an illusion in the window does that count as a ghost no ah, come
0: a on. ghost is when a ghost see ghost is in quotes and that's when someone is pretending to be a ghost for some reason it doesn't it's, count is what right. is basically right, 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 what doesn't i'm saying count. Doesn't count. yeah so uh i think that's where we run out on this one they haven't been in a fist fight they haven't gone to school all right so jumping back into it yeah so they wake up on the boat they've been knocked out I'm sure they have headaches, probably, like you said, permanent brain damage. But it doesn't have any noticeable effect on the Hardy Boys. They have to tow the boat home. That's what it is. Yeah. Because it's dead. They're amazing swimmers. They, they take five-minute turns holding one rope, like, lashed around their chest, and then just swimming as hard as they can against the current back to... So they get home. Do so they just crash out right away? That's what I would have done. Either way, I know that they find out that Chet got a freaking job interview... He gets a job interview. They find out that Fenton is working for the electing corporation trying to stop saboteurs. That's right. Chet shows up after he's had his job interview. And I think we can all relate to this moment. It's one of those really painful moments when you've told all of your friends about the cool new job you got. And then you find out that it's a shitty job and have to break it to all the people you've been bragging to. Because it turns out that Chet's going to work in the cafeteria yeah and immediately everyone goes to town on him about all the food he's gonna get to eat and what a lucky fat boy he is when chet so chet goes inside gets offered a crappy job accepts it because he's broke and he's walking out of the out of the lab probably trying to like get his stuff together and not like really be too hard on himself and there's a death threat in his car right <laughs> that's like back off or else it's to his friends it's not even a death threat to him they go back to the, the mill to look for clues, and they see Ken. He takes off running from them, so you know he's guilty. Yeah. But again, they don't think he's guilty. They're like, Ken, what's going on? Yeah, then he trips and falls and in falls the river. Falls in the river, and they have to... Like, sh- oh no, Ken's in trouble. And they do mount a daring, farty boy's aquatic rescue. We already in. know they're amazing swimmers. And then they like they resuscitate him. He's like, I was told not to talk to you guys. And then they send him back inside for to go to work. They're like, oh, you're fine. They see the green truck again. I mean, I agree.
1: He's clearly guilty. And he's they're not so like, guilty. what did you do? What no. was in that envelope? But he was like, delivering envelopes, by the way. Oh, yeah. They, uh, That's not important. But the point no, is, they're oh, not right. like, what are you doing? You're the criminal. They're like, he's like, I was told not to talk to you. I'm like, oh, I get that. I'm I get totally why you would like, sprint away yeah.
0: so fast you fell into the river and needed to be saved. Ken almost drowns, goes to work, immediately gets an assignment to do a delivery. It's like that. And so they follow Ken into town to this busy office building, really confusing me about the population of Bayport, because it's like teeming office building where there's not even enough parking for Chet to come inside. And I think they say- And he just drives around.
1: The five o'clock crowd rushing out, like, sweeps them up, and they can't get through the crowd of people. I, I had
0: no idea Bayport was this big hopping city. They go back to the mill again, but this time it's so cool. They ride up to the mill, and the mill freaking explodes. Not the mill itself, but the laboratory behind it. And the boys immediately are
1: like, let's get in there. Yeah, this is my favorite part, is the mill explodes. The police and fire chief shows up, and the police chief is like, hey, boys, what are you doing? I mean, it's suspicious. They've been asked to leave multiple times. They're discovered lurking around the mill while it explodes. The chief is like, what are you boys doing here? And they just say, sleuthing. Just a little bit of sleuthing, chief. And then they're like, hey, we think our dad might be in there. Can we go in? And the chief is
0: like, All right. And they keep... Yeah, so they go into this burning what has been clearly established as a missile laboratory. So, like, the first explosion was probably not the last (laughs) explosion or even the biggest explosion that's going to happen.
1: And they don't wait for the firemen or the police or anything. No, they just walk into the Go in with them. Start looking
0: around. They don't find any anything and the cop eventually is like eh I don't remember what it is that he decides is kind of risky like it sun starts to go down or something but he's (laughs) like I don't know boys it's a little dark it's it's about
1: time for you to stop playing in this burning building
0: (laughs) they go home and they immediately get pie and decide not to tell their mother that their father might have just been exploded in a missile factory turns out he was
1: almost exploded in a missile factory but they like they don't think that it's worth worrying her Here's the thing about these boys. They are amazing detectives. Yes. Whenever they have any thought, they're like, Dad might have been in there. They're right. They're right. (laughs) They never make a bad guess. No, it's almost as if... That truck looks slightly weird. Maybe it's suspicious. Totally is.
0: Fenton comes inside and he's got a huge bruise and he's all like burned up and bloody
1: The short version is, Fenton saw some mysterious figures moving around. He expected, because of the timing of the previous sabotage cases, he expected them to strike two days hence. He started chasing these shadowy figures, but he smelled something burning. He goes into one of the labs, sees a fuse ticking towards a box of dynamite. He wasn't sure what kind of fuse it was, so he rushes in and cuts off the fuse before it can go off. Then he runs after the men, but he smells smoke in another room. He runs in, but before he can get there, it explodes, throws him against the wall. Yeah, and knocks him unconscious, Knocks him unconscious. Similar, just like the boys Yeah, potential long-lasting
0: brain damage.
1: Is that it? Did I miss anything? I think there were some backflips and a few barrel rolls. I don't uh, know. No, it's awesome. Dive rolls. He
0: He does the splits at one point. I, I just, the whole thing, the explosion lifted me off my feet and threw me against the wall. Though I was stunned, I managed to get back to the east wing. I reached for the phone and then I blacked out. I would just so much rather be reading the Fenton Hardy mysteries.
1: Like I want to know more about this, about they're always his version though. Do you think like maybe he was like, I didn't think it was going to happen for two days. So I was just like hanging out. I was there a bunch of blowing up happened. Yeah, exactly. And I like (laughs) fell
0: down the stairs trying to run away. Oh, that's right, and this is where they find out from the amazing detective work of the Bayport Police Department, so the description of who, of the... Finger- I love this part, because yeah, they find a yeah, the yeah.
1: fingerprint on the arrow guard, and they're like, it turns out that fingerprint belongs to a criminal named The Arrow. Stephen Amell. Son of a bitch. And then the best part is the only description they have is like, medium build, pleasant speaking voice. And then later they call Electon to see if there's anyone who matches that description they like, no. They're like, medium height? I- oh, yeah, a lot of people. Pleasant speaking voice? No. no. Nobody. Nobody that here. one person here. As a side note, he's called the arrow because he uh, was an archery instructor who would then rob his students, presumably at arrow point. <laughs> After training them to be... <laughs> he's got to show off his skills a bit. No one's scared of a bow and arrow unless they know that you're really until good it's at it. pointed <laughs> yeah. right at you, until you're like, whoa!
0: You're right. That is actually really intimidating. Um, I don't understand why all these Hardy Boys criminals have such
1: accurate and identifying nicknames. Also, how come they're all in the database, but none of them are in jail? Yeah, how did the arrow get out? He's
0: clearly a murderer. It's like they've never been caught, but we have their fingerprints on fire. Oh, no, no, we got the fingerprint. Didn't get the guy. After they find (laughs) out that the fingerprint that came from the arrow guard belongs to the arrow, a criminal, they decide, we gotta go find ken because ken not a criminal himself obviously he's a child yeah, yeah uh he must have some information so they ask around and turned out he's been fired so they go to find out where he's been staying he's staying at a boarding house i was suspicious of ken through most of this but when they get to the boarding house and they realize that like he's like 14
1: yeah and he, he i just want to tell my parents i had a job
0: yeah, Aww. he said, my parents sent me on vacation, and instead he ended up at a boarding house all summer working as a delivery boy for a laboratory. I wonder how poor Ken's parents must have been that they sent him on vacation to stay at a boarding house and work all summer. It's just, well, at least he had that sweet Belgian bike. And then, <laughs> so they go home to the Hardy's house. After talking to Ken and doing their whole recap chapter, they figure out a plan, and they don't tell us the plan, which is a great narrative trick to be able to do whatever you want later. Chet, Tony, you know what to do. Ken, you know what to do. And then they head into the mill. I'm going to read a little bit about this because it's one of those great thematic moments. Frank and Joe approached the mill cautiously. It was dark now, but they did not use flashlights. Though confident that the gatehouse was deserted, they did not wish to take any chances. Over the sound of the wind in the trees came the rumble of the turning mill wheel. The Hardys headed for the door. They had just mounted the steps when the rumbling sound of the wheels ceased. And this is a big deal. They notice that as they approach the mill, it stops moving. And when they walk away, it starts moving again. And then there's an electric eye machine, is what they refer to it as, which is what I will now call it from now on forever. There was an electric eye machine that when somebody crosses the beam of it, the mill stops turning. And it's to alert people inside that... People are here that if the sound of the mill stops, oh, somebody's
1: here. That's not how mills work. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. There's some momentum. There's no brakes on the mill. They talk
0: about this earlier, that the water from the river pushes the mill, which turns it and creates the electricity. So if you have a device that stops the mill, that means you built a motor into the mill that fights against the force of the current, which means that water would fill up behind the wheel and pour over the edge of the trough, making a huge, muddy mess. Like, all I can think about is, like...
1: It's also a crappy alert system, because it alerts the person you're supposed to be alerted to. <laughs> yeah, that something is up. Happened. <laughs> and that maybe we And should... they're paying attention. Sure. They're, like, they're sneaking along, sneaking up, like, using the sound of the mill as cover. And then and it, it stops. Like, oh.
0: But when it does stop, and the boys figure it out, they decide they're going to climb up it, which I think is really cool. So they break in. They climb the paddles of the wheel. Pretty exciting scene. And they get inside... This mill, and it's a lair, basically. It's a bad guy's lair. Like, they're looking around, trying to find clues. They don't
1: find anything, but they keep hearing something moving. They go downstairs to the room. They sneak in. Inside, perched on a chipped grindstone, was a huge white cat. Its tail twitched indignantly, An overturned lamp lay on the table. Classic jump scare. I couldn't quite understand how overturning a lamp made it turn on. I was imagining the old mill had, like, kerosene lamps, and the whole room was on fire, but that oh. appeared not to be the case. No, it did not happen.
0: <laughs> so I'm thinking this is a good time, as any, to check in with our bingo card. Right now we have trespassing. Oh, yeah. Because they broke into the mill. We've got an animal. An animal. There was an explosion.
1: Uh, their boat was sabotaged.
0: Sabotage. And we've had pie, right? No, when, no. They, when they came home, I remember very specifically that when they came home after the explosion, they had pie. All right. I don't think there's been any actual injuries Fenton
1: was oh, a, yeah. bruise he on a his eye. big he bruise, bruise on, on his eye. His eye. So they, <laughs> they go into the basement. They find us. Uh, like a, There's a shelf with a bunch of tools on it. Joe goes to pick up a hammer. Who knows why? Why does Joe need a hammer? And it's glued down. They By find... the way, they glued the tools to the shelf so they wouldn't fall off when they opened the secret door. Hope they don't need any tools. Yeah. I'm sure they have more. I'm because... sure that happened all the time. Yeah. They're like, oh man, <laughs> I just need a screwdriver.
0: Couple of weeks. Oh, god yeah. damn it. They keep reaching. I for I glued it. that one down. But then, but then, that's the opposite of what happened the previous couple of weeks, where every time they opened that freaking door, everything <laughs> fell off. And it did. And it didn't happen when they opened it from the outside. It happened when they closed it, and they had to hear all this stuff <laughs> fall out on the floor. And we're like, but they go into this secret room and they find all of the evidence that you would ever need ever. It's a it's a counterfeit lab where they are making counterfeit money. Also, there's a quiver full of arrows and a bow and arrow, like, <laughs> leaned against the corner.
1: With, like, the arrow monogrammed on it. Yeah, exactly. It, everything you could possibly need. Photographs of them knocking out the Hardy of Boys. Them together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, really... the typewriter that typed the all type- of the these, notes. The
0: typewriter that typed all the notes is in this one. It's all in one room And they, like, together. type a few
1: words and they're like, it's the same it's one. It's the same one. The quick
0: brown fox got jumped serious. over the lazy dog. <laughs>
1: They've got a great eye for typeface, these Hardy Boys. I know. It's amazing. <laughs>
0: Of course, the men get back to the house right as Victor Peters does. They all get back to at the um, same time. And
1: they hear the mill stop. That's oh, how they know.
0: So maybe it wasn't such a bad warning after all <laughs> because they totally notice it as soon as it stops. And the uh, criminals come to the house, so they just immediately close the door to the trap door and lock it, which is exactly what I would do in that situation. Yeah. First, the crooks just sort of walk around outside the room in, within earshot, giving a bunch of more evidence, really. And they take an axe off of the tool shed, like the, the the tool thing, and they start hacking against it, which I thought all the tools were glued down. Yeah. Where'd they get the axes? Mm. I know. Mm. Serious continuity error. So they start taking axes to the door, which is the first time in any Hardy Boys book where I genuinely started to be a little bit afraid for the boys. Upstairs, when the men were just Giving a bunch of evidence, they talked about how, like, there's a hidden passageway, a hidden tunnel. So they look for the tunnel, and they start digging through it. And I actually got a little freaked out during this, because...
1: Yeah, yeah, so they, they find the tunnel, and they crawl into it, and it's just barely big enough for them to crawl, which is horrifying to me. I know. That, that... whole scene is really well described. It's very maybe, scary. <clears throat> maybe
0: we should read it? The underground route was a tortuous, harrowing one. The Hardys frequently scraped knees and shoulders against sharp stones in the tunnel floors and walls. They had held onto their flashlights, but did not dare turn them on.
1: Well, this passageway is
0: endless, Frank thought. The close, clammy atmosphere made it increasingly difficult for him and his brother to breathe. Joe thought uneasily.
1: What if we had a blind alley and we're stuck in here?
0: The boys longed to stop and catch their breath, but they could hear the sounds of pursuit growing nearer, and forced themselves onward faster than ever. Frank wondered if Chet and Tony had seen the men into the mill and had gone for help. But anyway, yeah, so they push out past the stones at the end of the tunnel and they realize they're in the cave from earlier. So they're back on the beach. But of course, one of the few smart things the crooks do, two of them went around to the front of the cave. It is a weird scene. Seems like the boys are going to be murdered, thrown into the surf. They are not worried. The boys don't care at all. They seem incredibly confident.
1: They just start asking the criminals questions. Like, we gotta wait for Harold Blum. Who's Harold Blum? Harold Blum is a spy who hired us to work at the mill. I mean, I cannot believe they don't get shot in this scene. They're being super rude. Yeah, they're like, when they're, jerks, like they're, they're like, why'd you let the guy in with the explosives? And they're like, that was explosives? Like, oh, come on. You didn't know that was explosives? So you consider blowing up
0: a laboratory to be a small <laughs> job? And they're like,
1: blowing up a what?
0: Yeah. They stall them long enough that Tony and Chet show up with the police behind them, which means the police were like, <laughs> like we got to go in and save our friends. And they're like, you boys go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Guys, hold back, hold back. <laughs> the guys turn, surprised that people came into the cave. They tackle them, They beat them up. They're armed criminals with a
1: history of,
0: of crime. And yet they can be beat up by 16-year-old boys spry youthful
1: boys okay, the fact that they could tow a boat while they're, swimming across a bay you're right means no, these boys right. are
0: they're no ordinary boys they are strong strong boys the older men though strong were no match for the agile hardy boys and the furious onslaught of chet and tony finally the struggle ended <laughs> the saboteur and confiteurs were disarmed and lined up before the cave their arms pinioned behind them by joe chet and tony
1: Frank took charge of the revolvers. I hope that one of the Hardy Boys books, Hardy Boys, number 56, The Furious Onslaught of Chet oh, and Tony. Chet and Tony.
0: One thing about this book that I do have to say is it really taught me how to spell the word counterfeiter. <laughs> uh, it showed up a lot. I misspelled it a lot. And,
1: uh, and that's the end. Yeah. Sh- it's a little bit like, I don't know, I was kind of thinking like if the Hardy Boys had just called the police... It would have been just like this. Yeah. Yeah, they would have gotten a warrant. They would have searched the
0: mill. They would have found the secret room. They would have found the tunnel to the beach. They would have arrested the people involved. Yeah, so that's the end. So let's do one last check-in with our... uh... Well, wait, hold on. I have a question about the very
1: last sentence. Now Joe turned to their plump friend. Good thing you bought that microscope, Chet. We started looking for nature specimens and dug up the old mill's secret. When did that happen?
0: I don't know. Uh, One, they didn't need Chet's microscope. They had their own.
1: But I guess they're, like, trying to be nice to Chet. They're like, hey, Chet, we just had an adventure. And you were
0: there, too. First time for everything. Got to have a friend with a car. Okay, so let's look at, so.
1: We definitely had a secret passageway. Definitely a secret passageway. There was a cat, a white cat.
0: Okay, so that's an animal. I think that fist fight, because the boys weren't tied up in the the cave. They they were just held at gunpoint. Fist fight, though, totally counts. There were no minorities. Um, How long had it been since you read a Hardy Boys book? oh it had been a long time long time
1: i wonder i definitely had all these at home but i don't know if i ever read any of them oh wow i i had read a lot of them and then uh realized i don't didn't remember any of any of them yeah that's when i was surveying people about what the secret was several people were like i read that book uh <laughs> no well, memory what but some, some people guessed it what, what was the correct guesses? The correct guesses were, uh, well, I guess like somebody's living in the mill is correct. That's, yeah. It's not really the secret, but no. several people said counterfeit money ring. Also, I didn't mention this, but somebody said there was a colony of gangsters living in the mill. Yeah, which is, I think the term is gang. No, colony of gangsters. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, look it up. Thank you so much
0: for joining me, Mitch. My pleasure. Come back. I'd appreciate it. All right. Thank you, folks, for joining me for the Hardy Boys Drink Book number three. Each episode, a local bar creates us a signature cocktail to sip while we drink. It really helps us deal with some of the painful inconsistencies in the story. Today's cocktail is provided by Meeg Conroy at Pearl's on 13th and Pearl in Denver's Capitol Hill neighborhood. And it packs a punch like Frank disarming a mugger with a revolver. Hi everybody, I'm here with Meeg Conroy at Pearl's on 13th and Pearl in Denver, Colorado in Denver's Capitol Hill neighborhood. Meek, thank you for joining us.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me.
0: So, I hear that you spent today painting a mural. Will you tell me a bit about your mural?
2: Yeah, well, to be fair, um, I wasn't painting a mural. I was more fixing it uh, post-Hail Apocalypse 2017 of Denver. Um, I remember it well. Yes, I think most of the city does, especially the Colorado Mills Mall. But (laughs) um, Yes. So, I wheat paste uh, larger scale pieces, and the catch is that wheat paste is not permanent. So... Hale definitely exacerbated and accelerated the decay process, Um, so today I was kind of cleaning up the wall and preparing it for a new phase and new evolution.
0: That's great. Will you tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Pearls?
2: Sure. Meet Conroy here. Hello. From the East Coast, moved to Colorado about 10 years ago. Been in the service industry a little over 10 years and been an artist, I guess, all my life. So balancing bartending and creating art, Uh, Pearls opened two years ago with people that are now my family for sure Um, concept kind of creating a comfy clean dive bar with live music on the other half Uh, but a great neighborhood feel great community and it's a great complement to my creation process in general
0: it is definitely one of the most happening spots in the neighborhood and uh, the the place next door it's called your mom's house yes Tell me a little bit about the schedule of music throughout the week. For sure. So
2: your mom's house is the venue side of Pearls, and every genre is covered. Tonight we have DJs uh, featuring hip-hop, trap, electronic. We'll have house acts, and we had a brass band in here not too long ago. It really does cover every range, and it's quite a fun place to be, especially on weekend nights. Uh, There's extensive light setup and lasers and lots of dancing, so it's a good time.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Meek, why don't you tell me a little bit about the history of Pearls?
2: So the history of Pearls is pretty interesting. This bar has been an establishment for over 15 years, really over 30 or 40, though I've forgotten the names of bars before yeah, um, was the here. two others yeah. I'll name now. So first it was Snake Pit, which many people remember, and it's always fun to have people come in and kind of reflect. Maybe it's their first time since Snake Pit years, that, and yeah. they kind of admire how the places change or... Reminisce, um, so it's nice to have that nostalgia and that sense of community and that understanding of it. Then we had Beauty Bar after Snake Pit, which um, is a franchise around the country and it was run by. This
0: This was a pretty classic beauty bar. Oh, yeah,
2: it was amazing. This is one of the first bars I came to when I moved to Denver. And something that's really cool about the Pearls bartending staff is every one of us worked at beauty bar. Oh, that's great. So there really is a great sense of family behind the bar and within the bar here. Um, and man, it's it's pretty uh, <laughs> interesting. The basement storage has artifacts, so to speak, from both of those bars. So every once in a while during a bar clean, we'll have to go downstairs and it's like, where did this stuff come from? But again, it really just... Um, emphasizes the community and family within Denver and the history here. So this bar has a very special place in my heart and many people's as well. Why don't you tell us a
0: little bit about the drink that you uh, created for us? It's gorgeous to look at, and it is an incredibly interesting flavor.
2: So I generally like dynamic drinks where you're surprised about what comes next. So who doesn't like spice? Well, a lot of people don't like spicy foods. But this drink, uh, Wet Hot American Summer, in honor of one of my favorite summertime movies.
0: Yes, it's a classic.
2: Yes, Uh, tequila, (laughs) typical drink everyone goes for is a margarita, so it's a little twist on it. Take out some of the sugar, add a little heat, and that comes both with Tabasco and Ancho reyes liqueur, and then soften it with a little simple and a little lemon-lime soda. What I
0: really love about this drink is that it tastes like a really fantastic margarita, that I'm drinking after I've been just wolfing down chips and salsa, waiting for my food. I don't think I would need chips and salsa with this. If right? they just served this while I waited for my food, I think I'd be happy.
2: Definitely, and that's kind of a objective of the drink itself. Is I always like to eat and drink, but this just kind of kills two birds with one stone. So. And it also seems like one of
0: those <laughs> trick drinks where the act of drinking it makes you thirsty. Because like every time Shh, I taste the don't spice, give I'm away like, the secret. Oh, okay, okay. That's the mystery. We've solved the mystery. Yeah. All right, Meg. thank you so much. It was really nice thank talking
2: you to you. Thank you so much, Charles.
0: It's been a pleasure. The Hardy Boys Drink Book Podcast is produced by Jack and Charles Wefsa. Our music is provided by Danny Overby. Special thanks to Mitch Levick, Meg Conroy at Pearls, Kristen Holstrom, and Taylor Trask at their network. If you have any comments, thoughts, or drunken fan theories, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter and at HardyBoysDrinkBook.com. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on iTunes and join us next time for... The Mystery of the Missing Chums.